Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the Halloween Slasher Spectacular. <laughs> Hello, I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. I hope there's spooky music playing in the background. I right know, now. there is in my head. <laughs> so, happy Halloween, everyone. Yes, happy Halloween. It's one of my favorite holidays, non-holiday holidays. Yeah, it's fantastic. It is such a beautiful time of year. And, uh, on Stuff Mom Never Told You, we like to do a special episode for Halloween last year. We did it on the whole sexy female costume thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of bracing myself already. It's a, we're recording this a couple weeks before Halloween. Yeah. I'm going to be a sexy David Bowie from Labyrinth. Ooh. Who, I mean, you don't even have to really try to make that sexy. He is just sexy. And a Tina Turner wig. It's <laughs> I look awesome. Dance the magic dance. <laughs> you got that right. I, I don't know what I'm going to be. Maybe I'll just be like a like a sock puppet. <laughs> a giant, a giant person-sized sock puppet. I like yeah. it. Well, today, Kristen, our topic is women in slasher films mm-hmm. and are they killed more often? Yeah, because women always seem to be dying in slasher films. Yeah, there's lots of screaming and dragging of bodies mm-hmm. and bleeding and stuff. Lots so of blood. We're going to examine this because a lot of, of researchers, when, when slasher films really started to get popular... Mm-hmm. I'd say like in the 70s and 80s, um, I, there was a lot of research that said, yes, women are killed more, injured more. Um, they are victims more often. They Their suffering is portrayed longer on screen. Yeah. Um, but then a lot of people uh, more recently, especially um, looking at 90s movies, too, a lot of people recently have come out and said, well, they're not really victims more often. Maybe you just notice it more. Yeah, and there's some interesting archetypes that have emerged in the slasher genre, which is a subset of 
the horror g- genre. Right. We're really talking about slasher films where there's, you know, like Halloween, Friday the 13th, where mm-hmm. there's someone out there killing a bunch of folks. <laughs> right. With knives and such. Yeah. Rarely guns. <laughs> slasher victim or slasher murderers. Um, Never, you know, they, they that like would be to, too quick. They like to challenge themselves <laughs> with uh, with knives and razors and things like that. But let me not get ahead of right. myself. Well, so one thing, so, well, okay, a couple of things we're going to talk about uh, that critics and researchers have claimed that movies like Nightmare on Elm Street feature one mm-hmm. acts of extreme violence portrayed in graphic detail. True. Two women singled out for injury and death, hence the labels of women in danger and violence to women films and mm-hmm. three scenes of explicit violence juxtaposed with sexual or erotic images. Um, and then the question of whether or not uh, those themes in slasher films could be desensitizing us and sort of setting up uh, this association between sex and violence, particularly as it is portrayed toward or as it pertains to female victims right. and whether it's having kind of like a negative negative effect on us. If we are during the Halloween season, for instance, I like to watch as many frightening films as possible, which I'm such a pain. I know it makes it really causes (laughs) a lot of sleepless nights. I'm not going to lie, but, uh, still for the the 90 minutes, it's fun. Um, I like to watch a lot of Disney movies during October. (laughs) It's nice to, you kind of have to balance it out such as, you know, watching the original black Christmas followed by the Charlie Brown Halloween special. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, this is totally off topic, but when mm-hmm. I was a kid, the Garfield Halloween movie always mm-hmm. terrified me. There was a scene where he has to hide from ghost pirates in a cabinet, and I was, I was, I was terrified. I but, haven't watched that. <laughs> I highly, I recommend it. On the edge of your seat. Um, researchers Daniel Lenz and Edward Donnerstein are two of the, of the people who argue that slasher films disproportionately single out women for attack and often include the mutilation of women in scenes that feature sexual content. But a lot of researchers have argued against these assumptions. In, uh, in sex and violence in slasher films, uh, researchers' analysis of popular 90s films found that the movies rarely mix scenes of sex and violence, calling into question claims that slasher films that portray eroticized violence blunt males' emotional responses. So if you, there's not as many scenes that pair violence and sex as maybe we think there are. Mm-hmm. May, there, I mean, I'm sure there are movies that have a lot of that and movies that don't have much at all, mm-hmm. but it averages out to not be that significant. Maybe it would be helpful for us to quickly um, offer a, a little timeline of how yeah. how the slasher genre really developed. Yeah, um, Sapolsky and Molitor and Content Trends in Contemporary Horror Films broke it down. Uh, horror was established in the 1930s with the release of Dracula and Frankenstein, but by the late 40s, the desire not to offend their audiences had pretty much blunted the genre mm-hmm. and made it almost extinct. By 1950, we have the aftermath of World War II, the detonation of the A-bomb. People are people are getting a little nervous. They're having drills where they get under their desks. Mm-hmm. Um, a subgenre developed of science fiction horror, and it, it sort of vented fears of the atomic menace. Mm-hmm. And in the 1950s, with the development of the teenage culture in mm-hmm. the U.S., this is when um, you have competition from television in this new consumer market with teenagers that's really developing. And so they start making horror teen picks, especially in color, to shock these younger audiences. Right. And teens had been watching a lot of these older movies on on TV and sort of getting getting into the horror thing. And so 
when people realized, as soon, you know, just like anything with teenagers, as soon as you realize you can make money off of them from something, yeah. it becomes <laughs> huge. So, um, yeah, these horror movies really took off. And in the 1960s, they started to really become more explicit in their portrayals, portrayals of sex and violence. You have movies like, I have to take a really deep breath before I say this title. The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed Up Zombies. And I, wa- I watched the trailer for mm-hmm. this last night. I'm, I'm never going to watch it, but mm-hmm. it looks hysterical. It's, it looks like a terrible version of Big uh-huh. because a, a guy takes his girlfriend to the carnival and, the, and she really wants to go to the gypsy and the, the prediction, something happens and then he becomes a zombie. Oh, no. But it's a musical. <gasps> It's a musical? <laughs> it's a musical. A horror musical? Zombie-tacular. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, that's, wow. I know, I can't top that. But Alfred Hitchcock can. Yes, he can. And in 1960, Psycho single-handedly launched a new subgenre called gore horror, which eventually did give rise to slasher films. Mm-hmm. And whereas before, maybe some of these movies were looked upon as, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Silly. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie actually had the weight of Alfred Hitchcock behind it. Uh, his money, his fame, his, uh, the respect that he got, um, sort of, uh, made Psycho more popular. And Psycho also planted the seeds for a number of the slasher tropes that we'll talk about in more detail, such as, you know, Norman Bates, the, uh, the, the mother obsessed, killer mm-hmm. and the attractive female victim played by Janet Lee. Right. Yeah. All these guys who were sort of obsessed with women in a, in a weird way and, and maybe kept preserved there mothers are, and grandmothers lying around. Yeah. It seems like there's always a strange relationship with some major female in their life. And they're either the, the slasher when they're males. Anyway, the male um, slasher killers, <laughs> slasher killers, slasher killers um, often are either highly sexualized like they have there's some kind of like sexual deviant like uh nightmare on elm street or they're desexualized completely right like well, there's, leatherface there's michael and halloween who went on his lifetime killing spree after he saw his sister having sex with her boyfriend in their parents bed right and then he went around killing women as if he were killing his sister all over again i guess whereas when the slasher killer slasher killer <laughs> when the slasher killer is a woman Usually her rage is related to some kind of wrong done to her by a man. Correct. Usually romantic. Just like in Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Uh-huh. Another incredible trailer. I actually have two incredible trailers I want to talk about. One is Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, which is not, it wasn't in the 60s. I think it was 1958. But um, she is so angry that her good-for-nothing husband is out running around on the town. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you know, she's out driving around and she encounters like some nuclear something or other from space. Right. And, you know, naturally, like this giant hand comes down and, and touches her and she becomes a giant woman. I'm, I'm really unclear on the details. Um, so she's a, a really angry woman walking around in lingerie, but impeccable hairstyle the whole time. <laughs> and just attacking people and ripping roofs off things. So there's that. And then there was uh, Play Misty for Me, which before we read about all this horror stuff, uh-huh. um, I had never heard of. It's starring Clint Eastwood. And OK, so it features he's a DJ, a radio DJ. Uh-huh. And this woman is a fan and she always calls in and requests a song. Yeah. Misty. Misty. And finally, they have a, a they meet. They, he picks her up at a bar. They have a fling. And when he get involved, gets involved with someone else. 
things get weird. Like, you know, she's doing all like the boiling the bunny type oh, of stuff, you know, good. stalking him and, and it's all crazy. But <laughs> I, I don't think I'll ever be able to take it seriously because the version of the trailer that I watched, I think, was the one that was edited to look hysterical. Aww. So, but it's funny. Yeah, there's a lot of stabby stuff. And so it seems like horror movies that feature women as the killers are more like the spurned woman. Right. Um, the look at how terrifying this woman is because she wants to love me kind of thing. Yeah, kind of like creepy. She's yeah. Like, whoa, you need to. Whoa, lady. Calm down. I didn't call for a reason. <laughs> um, and we have to cite 1963's Blood Feast for also helping kick off uh, the, the gore slasher film. Um, and I would like to note that I have not seen Blood Feast, but I would like to since, uh, it was produced by Herschel Gordon Lewis and it's about an Egyptian caterer who murders women in Miami in order to use their entrails to reanimate a dormant Egyptian goddess. Sounds like my kind of <laughs> Halloween flick. Yeah, I did read a description of it that involved, like, well, I think some, some kids were necking. Uh-huh. And uh some girl got her part of her brain chopped off or something. I don't know. There were descriptions of brains in the sand. <laughs> like <laughs> like brains through an hourglass. <laughs> well this is yeah, Blood Feast is significant, um, even though it's I think one of the, the lesser known horror films, because it was one of the first to use that combination of the really attractive females and really intense violence <laughs> and it made a lot of money. Right. And let's not forget nineteen sixty eight's Night of the Living Dead. With zombies and and women and such. But I will, there is one point, though, uh, that Sarah Bickley um, wrote uh, about the difference between zombie movies and slasher films, especially Mm -hmm. as they relate to women. She points out that zombie movies are often about groups of people, and it's it's typically humans struggling to work together to defeat these zombies, whereas slasher movies are about individuals where a lot of times one man is doing all the killing and only one girl will out- outwit him and survive. That sounds like a tagline for a movie. <laughs> yeah, and what Kristen's talking about is uh, the final girl, mm-hmm. the girl who survives. And this really, this theme really came up starting in the 70s with um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. With the girl who just fights and fights to survive and at the end is the only one standing. Should I should I drop the name of the final girl in Texas Chainsaw Massacre or is that a terrible spoiler alert? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, come on. Sure, go ahead. Okay, cover yours if you don't want <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess it really makes no difference. But um, if just I was going through all of these uh, these old horror films, these seminal horror films, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, nineteen seventy four. We have Sally as the final girl. It's a good name. It's my mama's name. <laughs> In nineteen seventy eight, Halloween, we have Lori is the only one who survives Michael's wrath. Friday the thirteenth, we've got Alice. Hell Night, nineteen eighty one. Marnie, Nightmare on Elm Street, eighty four. Nancy. I mean, it's it goes on and on. Even in Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, that comes out in nineteen eighty six. Final Girl, stretch, stretch. Yeah, I didn't even know that existed. I just knew about the remake. Yeah. Wasn't that Jessica Biel? It was Jessica Biel. Okay, that's all I really remember her from. But but back to this final final girl archetype. Carol J. Clover, who wrote Men, Women, and Chainsaws, offers this nice analysis. Uh, she writes, The final girl is, on reflection, a congenial double for the adolescent male. She is feminine enough to act out in a gratifying way, a way unapproved for adult males, the terms and masochistic pleasures of the underlying fantasy, but not so feminine as to disturb the structure of of male competence and sexuality. 
Interesting. Because if you think about a character like Lori, played by Jamie Lee Curtis in the original Halloween, you know, she's the only one, she's, she's attractive, but she's the only one within her group of friends who isn't sexually active mm-hmm. and she's kind of ridiculed for being, uh, too bookish and not social enough. Yeah. Well, la- who's laughing now? Exactly. After everybody well, else. Well, she's, she was probably crying. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was. Or maybe cry laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could be. <laughs> Okay, well, let's look at people who aren't laugh crying anymore because they've been killed. Because they're bleeding to death. Yeah. Um. So looking at more of these studies, looking into who who's killed and who who survived, females were not singled out for attack. Fewer than half of innocent victims are actually female in these movies. And the amount of violent acts actually increases against males in the 80s, while it dramatically drops for females. And that might have something to do with there were complaints to studios and producers and whatnot of violence against women. So mm-hmm. that could have had a lot to do with it, too. And really, if you are um, if, if you're a character in a horror film, if you want to guarantee that you will get slashed, just play a, a, a logical man. A logical <laughs> Boy Scout leader guy who has some very formulate plan for, you know, dodging the, the slasher on the loose. Yeah, no. Right. Logic will not win. Cause it, uh, yeah, what, what was that thing that, that said men who have really good plans in horror movies are often the first to be killed off so, yeah. that, so that the plot can continue? <laughs> and if you're mean spirited. Oh. Slasher films don't like mean spirited people or adulterers. Oh, <laughs> but it might seem like women are more often the victims of uh, slasher death because when it comes to the violent scenes, they are a lot more drawn out when it's a female victim as compared to a male victim. A lot of times the guys in slasher films, they die quick and dirty mm-hmm. with women. They will drag it out. They will torture us. Yeah, yeah. We we have to suffer. You mm-hmm. have to watch us bleeding for a while. Yeah, it's often referred to as torture porn. Yeah. Yeah, and there are a lot of studies that, that look at porn and, and horror movies. And I mean, could be as it is, it is disturbing to, to watch. And it's also, um, you know, thinking about those those films in the 1970s and 80s, um, it's understandable why... A lot of film critics were not too comfortable um, calling them violence toward women films because of these extended scenes of women often you know, scantily clad mm-hmm. being being brutally murdered. Yeah. Carol Clover certainly did not seem to like them in her introduction to her slasher film chapter in Men, Women and Chainsaws. She said a slasher is the immensely generative story of a psycho killer who slashes to death a string of mostly female victims one by one until he is subdued or killed usually by the one girl who survives. And she goes on to say that these movies are drenched in taboo and encroaching vigorously on the pornographic. Yeah, and she also mentions that that rape is often non-existent in slasher films, perhaps suggesting that sex and violence are substitutes for each other. Or, um, and I can't think of specific instances, but I know that I've seen in some of um, these death scenes, especially if it's a male slasher killing um, a female character, it's like the, the death and sexual assault are just combined into one very gory yeah, scene. Lots of grossness. Oof. But one, one film that we have to mention that really took on, um, all of these, uh, p- potentially anti-female 
themes of uh, violence against women and uh, over-sexualizing women in a lot of these, especially early slasher films. we got to talk about 1982's Slumber Party Massacre, which was written by Rita Mae Brown, and it was her attempt to satirize the slasher genre for its anti-feminist tropes. But Hollywood uh, basically ended up getting the last laugh because it um, it just sort of threw any satire out the door and made it a, um, a bloody romp. Yeah, drills were involved. Drills and a lot of uh, female characters in saucy bedroom attire. Mm. Well, it was a slumber party. party. <laughs> yes. And and I it, don't know. I don't know how you dress up when you have slumber parties <laughs> with your friends. Yeah, it's but. about it's about a serial killer, Russ Thorne, who escapes from a mental institution and terrorizes, you guessed it, a slumber party. <laughs> um, and the New York Times was highly disappointed in the product, um, the film critic wrote, and this is in 1982. Does it matter that in the name of progress, the filmmakers see to it that the occasional teenage boy is slaughtered <laughs> along with plenty of girls? No, it doesn't. And the fact that Miss Brown and Miss Jones, that was the uh, director, have obviously tried to inject a little satire and innovation into the genre just makes the ultimate vulgarity of their film all the more disappointing. Oh. But there is a last girl at the end, right? Oh, yeah. And and she breaks his drill. Yeah. In a, the, a very metaphorical. Right. The the phallic drill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, moving on. <laughs> moving on to two women who um, participated in the horror genre are Karen Kusama and Diablo Cody. They made Jennifer's Body, which mm-hmm. was starred Megan Fox a couple years ago. And um, th- this was part of an article in EW about Entertainment Weekly about women making up a huge chunk of the horror fan base. And um, Diablo Cody said that she had been always been a huge horror fan and wanted to make a horror film for women. Because that's probably the most perplexing part of all of this, uh, this research on slasher films and especially how women are portrayed in slasher films and, and, and killed and sexualized is that, um, at the end of the day, women make up a majority of the people watching these movies, um, especially these days. For instance, uh, and these aren't necessarily, uh, slasher films, but they, but there are horror films, just to give you, give you an idea. With The Ring, okay, mm-hmm. 60% of the audience, female. Yeah. The Grudge, 65% female. The Exorcism of Emily Rose, fifty-one percent female. That's that's pretty close. Yeah, I I can't watch I can't watch The Ring. Yeah, I don't I'm not. I'm care. like I said, I'm a pansy. I can't. It terrifies me. But you are among the minority, apparently. I know. I know. Yeah, uh, Maitland McDonough, who's written about horror movies for about twenty years, said that maybe it's the toughness that some of these female characters. Uh, convey that that helps women identify with them. And she said that she's certainly seeing a lot more women in the audience now than she did 20 or 30 years ago. Right. And um, there was a study that we found that analyzed uh, slasher films that were made in the 70s and 80s, um, comparing them to their more contemporary remakes to see whether or not they treat the female characters or um, any any differently. And this is coming from Chad Brewer's thesis. Uh, he was a student at LSU, and his thesis was called The Stereotypical Portrayal of Women in Slasher Films, Then Versus Now. And he examined the film's Black Christmas, watched the 1974 edition. It is terrifying. No. Yeah, side note. He looked <laughs> at Black Christmas, Halloween, Prom Night, Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Hills Have Eyes, the Hitcher, and When a Stranger Calls. 
And so he found that the remakes um, portray women a little bit better. Generally, they are more often seen as intelligent problem solvers. Uh, they are not as physically helpless toward uh, male slashers and I guess toward toward female enemies as well. Um, half of the remade films allowed the female characters to have very strong dialogue. But at the same time, the women of the remade films also had to remain feminine and beautiful before the killer attacks them and forces them to act more masculine in order to survive. Right. Switching gender roles up. Some things change, some things stay the same. <laughs> so true. Put that on a pillow. <laughs> um, yeah, talking about uh, the appeal of women, Bob Weinstein says the appeal is in watching women in jeopardy and, most importantly, fighting back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, you don't want to see a poor, helpless woman, you know, just get beat up all the time. You, you want to see her kick butt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there is... For whatever reason, I think there is more um, audience satisfaction when it is um, a female who's fighting back against Leatherface. Yeah. Well, they do talk about uh, boys in the audience who might cheer on the killer the whole movie while yeah. he's while he's doing all of his gory killing mm-hmm. and slashing and whatnot. But then they turn around and, and end up cheering for the, the the last female, the final, the final girl, the final girl. Um, and uh, here here's one more little trope that we found. Uh, slashers prefer blondes for whatever reason. <laughs> Can that be the zombie remake of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes? <laughs> Zombies prefer blondes. Uh, it's true. The final girl is almost always brunette. Um, and that probably has to do with a lot of uh, bogus cultural stereotypes we have about blonde females that I do not agree with. Hmm. Um, but yeah, if I were in a horror film, I can breathe a little bit easier. Good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, my hair color changes. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think I'm okay. I am brunette, hopefully kind spirited and not an <laughs> adulteress. So yeah. Hear that, Michael? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Inviting trouble. Yeah. Uh, well, I think to close things out, are there any, any horror films, slasher films in particular that you would recommend people to watch this Halloween season? Mm. I, I really think you should all go out and watch that movie with a really long title about the zombie musical. <laughs> watch the zombie musical. Yeah. I, um, I am really interested in, uh, what's, what was it? Misty? Uh, play Misty for me. Yeah. Play Misty I for really me. want to see that. The woman is insane in the movie. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. Whew. She didn't boil any bunnies, but I mean, she does everything but. And yeah. And if only to hear the song called Misty. Yeah. Um, and, uh, my ultimate favorite, but don't watch it alone movie is 1974's Black Christmas. I've never, I've never, what is it about? It takes place in over Christmas break, uh, in a sorority house. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's all I can say. <laughs> um, it will, it'll freak you out. So that is all. I hope that you all have enjoyed the Halloween, <laughs> <laughs> Halloween slasher spectacular. And I hope you all enjoy a very safe and fun Halloween. Indeed. And let us know your favorite slasher films too. Yeah. Mom stuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address. But this time we're not going to read any of your emails. We are turning to Facebook. Because, uh, we got such a great response to our question of who are your favorite characters on female characters on TV. And there were so many awesome ones that we did not mention in the episode that I thought Caroline, you and I could just call out some of them. Sure. So you have a few you want to toss out? I do. I highly, highly support 
the nominations of Angela Lansbury in Murder, She Wrote. Yes. And Maxine Gray on Judging Amy. I've never seen Judging Amy. Oh, it was such a good show. I really, I really liked it. I really did. But she was also in, um, Cagney and Lacey. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I liked how Nancy Botwin from Weeds yeah. was kind of controversial. Really? Yeah. Cause she, you know, she plays this, uh, this drug dealing mama. Yeah. Uh, and she's super tough and always drinking coffee through a straw. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Mary Louise Parker, who I do, I do love, but I could, I could see how she can be kind of, um, Kind of a polarizing figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffy was far and away the number one pick. And yep. you guys also love some Veronica Mars. I tried to watch that show once and I was not successful. Yeah, I, I, I never, um, I haven't, haven't watched it. Uh, Blossom? Yeah, Daria. Daria, yeah. I, I, I also had her same attitude towards volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, who else? Scully. Scully, of course, from X-Files. Uh, some women on TV. Today, Leslie Nope and Liz Lemon from Parks and Rec and 30 Rock, respectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some ladies from back in the day, we have Laura Petrie, who was um, Mary Tyler Moore on the Dick Van Dyke Show, and then also Mary and Rhoda mm-hmm. from the Mary Tyler Moore Show. And let us not forget Elaine Bennis from oh. Seinfeld. <laughs> I know, I can't believe, there, there were so many, I couldn't believe. Claire on Modern Family, who I really enjoy. Joan Holloway on Mad Men. Uh, the Connor women, Roseanne, <laughs> Darlene. Oh, and we have Topanga. She of the crimped hairstyle yeah. from Boy Meets World. I loved Topanga. Um, Audrey Horn from Twin Peaks, I thought was a great, um, suggestion. She's kind of a creepy character, but, but I love her. <laughs> Sydney Bristow, that's alias, right? I think or is so. it? Yeah. Uh, Claire Fisher from Six Feet Under, Donna from Doctor Who. Uh, Penny from the Big Bang Theory, Laura Holt from Remington Steel. I just, I loved the variety yeah. of all these suggestions. Um, so I guess thank you mm-hmm. is what we're trying to say. Yeah, it's good to know that there are so many good female characters on TV and in movies. Yeah, and it reminds me of some, some TV I need to catch up on. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Uh, such as one, two, just two more from shows that I have, I have not seen at all, which is kind of sad. Brenda Lee Johnson. From the closer. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I still I love her. I got, I carry around a giant black bag too, and I can never find anything in it. Doesn't she have, um, she's a southern lady, right? She is. She's from Atlanta. <sighs> See, I should be. But watching. she has such a, uh, you know, I don't know what people think of, what people in the rest of the country think of people in Atlanta. I know people were disappointed that we didn't have southern accents, but Brenda Lee, or Brenda, whatever her name is. Brenda Lee Johnson? Thank you. <laughs> That's such a deep southern accent. So, so if they need their southern accent fix after the podcast, they can watch the closer. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, with that, thanks everyone for writing in, for writing on our Facebook page, which you can go over and like us, leave a comment as well. You can also follow us on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast, and you can check out the blog during the week. It's stuff Mom never told you at HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs> Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House of Work's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. 
Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts 